Happy Halloween, everybody, and welcome, ghouls and ghosts, to an extra spooktacular episode of Tom Talks. As always, I'm your host, Heath, and I'm joined by none other than the terrifying visage of this monster, Adam Kelly, my favorite GM. Uh, how the Halloween That's are me. you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we made it through a monstrous hurricane. Yeah, I was, I was I, uh, our, like, what, 2,000th hurricane in the southeast this year, yeah, I think? Yeah, first one that actually hit us. Um, directly, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to be here today, but uh, yeah, I made was, it. I was really nervous about it, mm-hmm. especially since we waited so late in the month to do it. I know, like <laughs> this is the day we had to get it done too, you know. Right. Um, so before we kick this thing off, I wanted to just catch up with you a little bit. I feel like um, over the last few months with coronavirus and just everybody's schedules and stuff, you and I haven't been able to talk as much, like in a real like voice to voice sense mm-hmm. as we normally do. So, you know, I feel like we're a little bit more out of touch than we normally are. Uh, so what's going on in the world of Datum? Have you uh, been into any new bands or shows or games or what have you? Have you taken up golf or any other dad hobbies like that? <laughs> I've taken up napping more. So I think that's like a dad thing. Like <laughs> falling asleep on the couch, you know, <laughs> that's pretty dad. Yeah. Uh, as far as like entertainment hobbies or whatever, um, I'm sure several of you listening know that we've started a little book club around the Stormlight Archive series over at MinMaxed on their Discord server, and that's been a lot of fun. So that's what I've been reading. Um, as far as music, I've actually been able to get to play some recently. Um, going to the river. And playing outside shows there, which feel mostly safe playing there. I get tested every time I come back, though, just because I, I guess I do get a little paranoid. But that's um, good. That's good. Though. Uh, and then there, we actually did play at a bar just outside of New Orleans. Now we were outside on a patio there, and they were making everybody wear a mask there too. Um, you know, some people did, some people didn't, but we were pretty far away from all everybody, so. That was cool. So it was good to get, it's good to get to play some music, um, small, some small semblance of, of it anyway. Um, and then what I've been watching and just recently watched the finale of is Lovecraft Country, which is full of monsters, um, kind of perfect fodder for today's Tom Talks. But man, that show was incredible oh man i wish i was further along i actually recently watched the first episode so i'm not i'm not very far in you know there's those are where the monsters are that's for sure i'm I'm not even being entirely truthful i watched most of the first episode oh so you haven't even got to the monsters (laughs) no i haven't i'm sorry it's Um, terrible let's go back to the stormlight archives thing because Mm -hmm. uh you and i both have been fans of that series from the beginning uh of of that series like not of Brandon Sanderson's work. In fact, uh, some of you guys know that we tried Southern tomfoolery as a different thing before it was an actual play podcast. And we were going to make it like a blog slash podcast about nerd culture in general. And one of the, one of the things we had on our blog was a book review corner. And I think I reviewed two books Oh, you know, <laughs> didn't get very far, but one of them was the Stormlight Archive. And at that point, only books one and two were out. 
and and it's been something that you and I have been geeking out about forever. Yeah, you know? it is. And and like <clears throat> like you said, we're we're doing kind of a you guys started this book club over on Minmax server and it's been really nice to be able to engage with uh people on our discord people on other discords you know do some networking mm-hmm. and all that i missed the f- whole first book you guys already did the whole first book mm-hmm. like uh it's like a five part book you did like a part a week right mhm yeah so i missed that whole first book but i did i've read the first book twice anyways so mm-hmm. i just popped in uh a f- several days ago to you know officially join up for the second book uh words of radiance well the second book's where it really takes off you know what i mean yeah like the first book i love the first book but you could almost say the entire first book is set up even even with the climaxes it has within it it's still such a small part of what the grand story becomes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, but I feel that, you know, even having read the third book, I'm like, I still feel like this is just set up for later stuff. Cause this, <laughs> this series, the scope of it is so, I, so I literally much. messaged Adam like late a night or two ago and was like, this thing is so fucking big, like yes. big with a capital B. Like, it's not just that they're thick books. It's that their concepts are so large and so like it can be really daunting because it's the kind of thing you really do want to like reread numerous times and go back and reread chapters to like put the pieces together. And I, mm-hmm. I started, it's funny. I jumped in MinMax server and I had been planning on jumping in for either the second or third book because the new one's about to come out in a couple of weeks. And, uh, I jumped in and I was like, damn it, they already started two days ago. <laughs> so I, I didn't think I was going to be able to catch up. And I rebooted up my Kindle after like six months, knocked the dust off of it. And like, I had read 160 pages in like a day and a half. <laughs> like, yeah, those books read quickly. I mean, that's, you know, I, when I first suggested that we do a part a week, I think there was a couple of people that were like, oh, I don't know. That's a lot. But like, once you get going, it's so hard to put that book. Yeah. Down, it it was funny for me. Cause I tried to go back and like read everybody's like thoughts and analysis of the first book. Mm-hmm. And I gave up on that after 30 minutes. Cause there was so much content, yeah. so much people talking, but it was funny to see people's trepidation. Be like, I don't know if I can knock that out, which realistically like a part of week is like, you know, 20, 25 pages a day, something like that. It's doable Mm -hmm. if you're, if you are disciplined enough to do it every day. Right. Right. Um, but then to go back to like where we're at now and like four or five people were like, Hey man, like I'm way past you guys and I'm sorry about it, but I'm not stopping. Right. 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 (laughs) We're like, haven't started book two yet. And people are like, all right, I'm in book three, but you know, it's cool. I'm still here for the conversation. Emily actually started the series. Like, I I don't know when she started, but it was very recently. And she messaged me a couple days ago. It was like in book three, give it like talking about points in book three. And I was like, girl, didn't you just talk to me about like, Hey, I'm going to start this series. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) she's crushed it. She's absolutely crushed it. I mean, long story short, if you're not reading the series, Now's a great opportunity to, and there's plenty of people to talk to about it right now because we're it's all fresh on our minds. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a good uh, community and network to be involved in, and if you're one of those people that's really big into like big expansive universes and series, whether you be the kind of person that liked the like Wheel of Time series or like uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower. 
you know, connected universes, uh, kind of stuff like that. This is for you because like the Stormlight Archives is one series in what's called the Cosmere, which is like mm-hmm. numerous series that span different planets and stuff. It's it's wild. Anyways, we we could gush about this and do a whole Tom Talks and they wouldn't pay us for it, so it's not worth it. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but that's good. You you got to Not yet. Right. We'll get there one day, Brando Sando. <laughs> Uh, I I will say I I exclusively call Brandon Sanderson Brando Sando now because I saw a Facebook group where some of the like I guess tryhards and and like real gatekeeper type fans of the community like were posting like numerous people posted like you shouldn't call him Brando Sando this undermines his his importance and all this and I was like well oh I am God. calling him Brando Sando. Yeah. All the time now. He's now officially <laughs> Brando. I'm going to reach out to Brando Sando for our next STFU guest. Dude, that, we're going to only would, call him that the you, whole time. Do you realize how bad like all of our close friends would fangirl over that? Like yeah. that would be huge. But mm-hmm. anyway, Stormlight aside, uh, it's that's cool. You got to you've gotten to play some music. I know, like you know, uh, you are a musician. You have been for years and years, and like I, I know, much like you know, the, the kind of hobbies that any of us have that we identify as a person who does that thing. If you don't get to play music for a while, like you're not on top of your game, you know, you don't feel Mm -hmm. your full Adam, you know? So I'm happy for you that you've gotten to do a little bit of that. I can't wait until I can come actually see you play somewhere. Yeah. uh, It's, it'll come. It's coming. Hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. One day we'll get there. Um, I hesitate to even be hopeful, you know, like <laughs> knock on wood kind of thing. Um, but so no golf, no, no have, golf. you haven't played any disc golf. I, oh, was the we disc need to golf? Do that. Well, you, you actually, you said you went to uh city park in new Orleans today to survey the v- damage. Like, did it mess up the disc golf course? I didn't get over to that side of city park. That's like on the other side from my house. Um, so we just walked from, our house over to the park. And so that's, we didn't get that far over. I imagine that they're probably, I mean, it's pretty wooded over there. So I'm certain that there was, there's stuff down there too. Yeah. Um, well, so, uh, you know, just as far as what's been going on with us lately, uh, I, I never brought it up in any of the, the podcast stuff the last couple of months, but uh, sports dude that I am, it's actually been really cool. I got together with Griff from um, Hideous Laughter, and when football season started up, we we put together uh, between our two discords a uh, fantasy football league. That, that we're just we're just networking discords left and right over here. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys kind of uh, you know gave the go ahead on that with the whole uh, what what did you call our four podcast union? Yeah, the failed Fortitude Save Collective, as we are all drunks. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, since that's been a thing, it's like, well, shit, you know, uh, all, all bets are off. Like, everybody right. get with everybody, become friends. You know, I, I love that. I think it's awesome. Yeah, me you know? too. Uh, what, have you been listening to anything new? Give me a, give uh, me a recommendation. Let's see. Um Actually, you know, I've been <laughs> taking a lot of people through a fish plunge yeah. lately, which is always nice and fun and exciting. I know. Um, I, I did it once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what, what I have actually been listening to and discovering on my own is um, there's this band called Warpaint. 
I've heard of them. And, yeah, and they have like I you know, they have this one song that's been in my playlist for a while. It's so good, but I actually started like digging into their full discography, you know. And it's it's really, really been awesome. And then I've been checking a lot out of Giuseppe's and Hot Rats like modern psychedelic yeah recommendations i mean because there's just so much there that i haven't really heard before and they both are you know have great depth of knowledge when it comes to that so i've been checking out a lot of what they've been posting so cheers to you too thank you for yeah introducing i mean it me is some it is really cool and, that we've got a couple of people that are very dedicated to the discord to like that music sharing kind of chat mm-hmm. room that they're they're constantly putting up stuff i i always feel bad because i don't have the time to listen to every post you know like mm-hmm. th- there's no way that i can do it like while i'm at work and stuff like that yeah but I, I, i've I try missed to more than i've listened to that's for sure but right um I, I, you bring up the fish thing i'm gonna come back to that in just a second but i wanted to ask are you drinking anything special today uh i am drinking uh we could say it's special um it is a limited release from Sweetwater. Uh, it's the, the, one of their 420 strain mm-hmm. uh, line. You know, they mix it with, I guess, some some herb essence there to give it kind of a weedy smell and taste. Uh, uh, I was, was going to make the joke, like, oh, it's weed beer, but it really is. It really is, yeah. Um, and this is the Jack Hare Harvest Ale. So it's okay. pretty good. It's pretty good. It's a hoppy red ESB. Um, it says it has notes of pine, citrus, orange, and a hint of pepper, which is funny is the pepper is what I taste the most. Well, it's such a strong flavor. I know, but it says that that's the hint. <laughs> right, flavor, right. right. You know, it's got strong notes of pine and citrus and orange and a hint of pepper. And mostly what I taste is pepper. <laughs> it's so. like I picked up the hint, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am what are you drinking, drinking something that I do consider very special to me. It's one of my favorite beers in the world, but it's Bush? generally very, no, <laughs> I made the point at, in our hideous tomfoolery last one I recorded. I do drink a lot of Bush, but it's because the days that we record line up with like the day before payday. So I'm usually low mm-hmm. on cash. So I end up drinking Bush a lot for the hideous tomfoolery, which I'm not ashamed of. I'm a Southern, be. I'm a, I'm a Southern man with limited income, you know, <laughs> But today I am drinking a Chimay Triple. Uh, nice. Which is one of Chimay my, is a is a special occasion beer. It is. I got three Chimays in a pick six uh, yesterday that I'm really excited about. So tell us about a Chimay because I think a lot of folks may not even know what that is. Yeah, Chimays are uh, Belgian-style Trappist ales. So they're literally made by Trappist monks. And like, I, I'm assuming at some point... They, they, you know, they got a a deal and there's like a a bigger, you know, corporate entity involved with it because I I believe when they started out, like there was only so much made a year, but I mean, it seems like I can get it year round if I feel like paying the money. But, um, yeah, they're, they're my favorite kind of beers flavor wise are Belgian style ales. Like they just, I love this, the, they, they just feel smoother to me than an IPA. Um, so I got uh, two of the triples and one of the premieres, and and the triple is an eight percent, and the premier is seven percent. So, I mean, they're all pretty high alcohol content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're good. They're good. <clears throat> uh, but they, have you been getting anything fun? Um, 
I don't, I don't, I'm not allowed to have fun these days. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've been working uh, again at, at a school. I'm, I'm uh, doing the reading tutoring thing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, so I work two jobs, three, if you count uh, Southern Town Foolery. Um, so, you know, I've just been kind of busy, to be honest, uh, most of the time. This week, I am only working two shifts at my second job. So it's kind of a luxury week where I'm, mm-hmm. on, I'm, I'm only working a full time job. And, uh, uh, you know, all week long and a part-time job, uh, all weekend, uh, tomorrow is going to be rough because tomorrow is my rough day. Cause I have to work from like seven 30 in the morning till 1130 at night. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, but other than that, I have been, I've been playing some fantasy football, as I said, with, with the fellas I'm doing. Okay. Uh, I think I'm above halfway or, you know, halfway point. (laughs) Um, nice. Um, I, I am actually playing Griff this week and he's projected to beat the brakes off of me. Of course. Um, but other than that, I've been doing September 1st, we started Fight Rock. So, you know, almost every Sunday since September 1st, I've recorded a Fight Rock with our, our good buddy and passel pal, Brian. And that's been a really fun experience. We were, we were both, I think, kind of nervous about it starting out. You were. Both of y'all were. I think he was more (laughs) nervous than I was. But uh, yeah, it's turned out really good. Uh, Mike is sitting at a three-win, two-loss record right now. I okay. just I just took my second loss. Um, but it's who beat you? Our, our one of our close friends, Will. Um, oh, nice. That, that, yeah. he, he's he's he snuck in on you. Well, huh? he's the also the last uh, of our like STF, uh, STF and friends kind of uh, Hattiesburg like based extended. group. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. the last one that lives in Hattiesburg. You've all abandoned me. <laughs> um, but it was nice. He, he, I actually was really nervous about doing this Tom Talks, and still am, because uh, yesterday, uh, or day before yesterday, my computer completely crashed and like blue screened on me. And Will, thank God, still lives in Hattiesburg, and he came and, and sorted it out for me. And we had to completely reinstall Windows, and I had to re-download all of my programs. I was I was downloading Mike Mutant stuff right before we got on. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I've been doing you know the fantasy football thing, uh, just working, hanging out with Will a little bit, um, and and working on Smash Finder characters. Really? Ah, uh, yeah, Smash Finder. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's coming up too. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, what about the slithering? Speaking of monsters, so so yeah, I've been, I've teased Adam a lot about uh, wanting to run the slithering. He's wanted me to for a while because you know he doesn't get to play characters very often, and I, I am definitely planning on it. I bought it, I've read it, um, but basically, I wanted to like catch up with the backlog of all the fight rock people, and once we get to where it's like we're just waiting on new people that are interested then I can dedicate those Sundays to the slithering, mm-hmm. right? So I want to do it soon. Probably, you know, I'd like to start in the next month. Um, cool. Which I've got to get on everybody about, like, actually submitting their characters and stuff. Right. Uh, as you know, is always a process. Uh, so I said I was going to come back to the fish thing, and I'll be quick about it. But so you've been kind of going on a fish journey with some new folks. I have been kind of in nostalgia land a little bit. And like my first real love in the like jam band thing that I went to a ton of shows was Humphreys McGee. I, I've mentioned, mm-hmm. I think, before. And I, I finally got Adam uh, probably two years ago to go to an Humphreys show with me and my sister. And it was a lot of fun. But 
both of those bands, considering it's a Halloween episode, this episode is going to come out on Halloween. We're trying to keep stuff spooky. Both of those bands, ironically, have interesting Halloween traditions. So mm-hmm. Fish, uh, as Adam knows full well, uh, every time they play a Halloween show, they do they wear a an album as a costume kind of thing. They mm-hmm. like cover an entire album of like a, whether it be the Beatles or. Uh, what all have they done? The the Beatles and they they've done the Beatles wide album. They've done uh, Talking Heads Remaining Light. They've done Velvet Underground Loaded. They've done Who Quadrophenia, Little Feet Waiting for Columbus, Ziggy Stardust. They've done Exile on Main Street by Rolling Stones. Um, and then they've done some. They've changed it up a little bit in their later years, keeping people guessing. Um, where they covered an old like spooky sound effects album that disney put out a long time ago ago called the uh, chilling thrilling sounds of the haunted house which is like kind of a 45 minute story time album where there's there's this like narrator who tells like very small little spooky right segments and they what they did is wrote a bunch of music and put it behind those those vocal samples and uh really made an interesting collection of songs which they're still in their in their catalog today and then the 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 biggest prank that they pulled with that is they like all right this year this was a couple years ago and this year they're like we're gonna cover we know we usually cover pretty staple canon classic rock albums you know that that we pay tribute to and all that and we're gonna go deep on and we're gonna cover this band that we don't think anybody's heard of it's like really really kind of unheard of rare band just really obscure really obscure and they you know the night of the show they release a handbill every time for halloween that lets you know what album they're covering and gives you a little bit of history and details on it and they said okay we're covering this like swedish norwegian prog rock band from the 80s and we got this tape from like a friend of a cousin's sister or some shit like that. Right. And like, they didn't, they knew nothing about them other than they had this tape and they always listened to the tape while they were on tour and all this stuff. And they, and so of course fish fans and it being the modern age started looking up on the internet for this band called Casfoot Vox and found like this interview with them from like a long time ago, this whole obscure like radio DJ channel had talked to them. Turns out that they made the whole thing up. They planted those. Okay, you you had me going because I, I was like, <laughs> I was aware of the Casbot Vox thing. I thought that band didn't exist, and, they and don't. I, they I, don't. I was on board. I was like, oh, that's really like an eighties band. <laughs> yeah, so they like really like they implanted stuff in the internet because they knew people would go looking for it, and they never said the whole time that they were playing that they were joking. They came out there and literally covered what they said was the Casfoot Vox I Rock album. So what they did uh, is they wrote an album. They wrote an album as a different band. And the the challenge that they did to themselves is that they had to write lyrics that sounded weird if they were translated. Translated, yeah. (laughs) From like what? Norwegian? Swedish? Swedish and Norwegian. The whole backstory is that it was like a bunch of scientists in some super secret lab that could all play music and decided to be a band while they were doing this research at this lab 
because they didn't have anything else to do in their free time because they couldn't go anywhere. And they put out <laughs> this prog rock album in their downtime. And so it was some mixture of Norwegian, Icelandic, and Swedish lyrics translated into English from scientists. Um, that was- is the most fish thing I've ever heard in my life. And it was something I was already aware of, and you just threw me for a loop, and now I'm like questioning <laughs> everything. Uh, so <laughs> when are we getting the Kazvat Vox Adventure Pass? <laughs> I don't know. That's like tier. That's like five thousand. Five five thousand. All right, you heard yeah. it. You heard it here. Five thousand dollars. Like nobody's gonna chip in for that though, because nobody wants to hear that. Uh, John <laughs> John would pay his own podcast for that. Yeah. I know John loves yeah. the Casvot Vox stuff. Yeah. So I was gonna ask, based on uh, Fish's uh, Halloween tradition, um. What album would you have chosen for them to cover if they did that this year? Oh, goodness. Um, They've flirted with a couple that I still think would be interesting for them to do. Um, They've tossed around the idea before of doing Steely Dan's Aja, which would be dope. uh, I would have to pay money and be there for that. But I would also, I feel like I'm such a Steely Dan fan and purist that I'd be mad at Fish for doing that. Yeah, it'd be tough. Uh, although they did nail Ziggy Stardust, so I mean they could do it. They've talked about doing Kid A before, which I would be a little hesitant right, to hear fresh right. cover Kid A. Um, a, a album that I think that they could do well, and they've talked about since the very first year that they did this, that actually psyched everybody out and told them that they were doing this, and it turned out to be the Beatles' White Album. But what they were going to do or what they told people they were going to do was Frank Zappa's Joe's Garage. Oh, God. And I think they could kill that. Okay. For sure. Nice. You know? So that, that would be, I'd like to see that, but. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the Humphreys McGee also has a Halloween tradition, and theirs is, uh, for their Halloween shows, they uh, they wear costumes, but they're, you know, one of the things Humphreys McGee is known for is their mashups. They take like two covers or three in some cases, and they weave those songs in and out of each other. So it'll be like Staying Alive by the Bee Gees and I don't know, name a fucking song, uh, Nirvana or something. But they'll take mm-hmm. the lyrics from one and put it over the music of the other and then switch and do the music of what the other one and the lyrics of mm-hmm. the other one, you know? Yeah, they've done some good mashups. Yeah, they did a whole album of their mashups because they did so many called Zonky. Yeah, but uh, I do, I actually am in the minority. I'm tired of their mashups. I don't want to. I don't want anymore. I like like five of them. Um, stop it. Play music. <clears throat> uh, play your music. <laughs> but their Halloween tradition is to dress up in mashup costumes. Uh, yeah, so they'll they'll do these mashup costumes <laughs> like uh, this one's probably the most uh, uh, I don't know Ronald McDonald Trump is one of their mashup costumes that they've done. <laughs> um, oh my goodness, uh, Cypress Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like they've got they've got so many those those two are just the ones like I googled, uh, but they've got every year they've done this for like ten years, so they've got some great like crossover mashups. I think there was like a Macho Man Randy Savage and somebody else, but. That said, I was going to say, if you were to cosplay a mashup of two uh, characters from our podcast, who would you mash up? Hmm. I think I'd like to to do a mashup of um, 
Vin and Ziva. Oh, Vin, Vin from Hideous Tom. Uh, yeah, Hideous Tom Foolery. Yeah. I was I was about to say Hideous Tom Football because <laughs> that's the name <laughs> of our fantasy football league. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd like to do a uh, a titanium sweet heat. There you go. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that would work, but yeah, I just thought it was a fun, cute little thing that they do that it'd be fun to like, look at all the possibilities of like, right, right. you know, crossing uh, titan- titanium Ziva would be great. You know? Yeah. Titanium Ziva would be pretty, pretty dope. It's like what Emily wishes Ziva was. Ouch. Shots fired. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the, when I wrote this thing, I started the next section by saying, I want to start off by, and that's obviously <laughs> not the case, but now that we're, we're we, it's good just talking with you, buddy. You know, yeah, I just yeah, wanted to do good. that for a little bit and, uh, sorry, listeners, you got to deal with us being friends. <laughs> um, so, uh, to get into, yeah, the- we're going to call this episode monsters and mates. <laughs> uh, we'll work on it. Um, but I want to start off proper by apologizing to you, Adam. Uh, unlike last year, I didn't show up to this Halloween Tom Talks in full costume. I really dropped the ball this time. It's all right. You didn't tell uh, us. I didn't tell anybody last year either. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I showed up in an Assassin's Creed. (laughs) Yeah, and you were like, why aren't you all dressed up? And we're like, "Uh, because it's, you know, 7 o'clock on a Thursday. This was the pre-COVID times, so I just, like... I love Halloween and stuff, and I just assumed everybody else was, like, on the Halloween thing. And I was like, everybody's mm. going to be dressed up today anyways, right? right. Um, but that that said, um, I'd also like to take a second to apologize to the listeners, because we didn't release an episode of Tom Talks in September. Uh, I know that this is a monthly release show, so that's on me. Um, and to be frank, September really kicked my ass. I was switching back to having two jobs. Uh, I got what I'm still convinced was coronavirus, despite my negative test. Um, I was in a boot because of my torn Achilles tendon for like the whole month. Um, it was just a whole ordeal. So I apologize. We didn't do one September. We're doing one for October and I'll try not to miss one again. Don't worry, listeners. We properly flogged him. Yeah, they beat my ass. Yep. Um, that's actually like why my Achilles was messed up is they preemptively beat me up for not having it done in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in August. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I know this isn't the best year for festivities because let's be honest, 2020 isn't the best year for just about anything. But um, I did want to ask real quick, like. Uh, in down in New Orleans, are you guys like planning on doing anything for Halloween? Any efforts to salvage a good time out of it, or have has New Orleans just said rest in peace to Halloween this year? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's just a yeah. no go. Yep. Well, despite the celebratory dud that is 2020, <laughs> we're gonna do our best to keep our spooky spirits up. Um, I know the good folks in the Discord have been doing their part, changing to all their spooky nicknames and all that. Thank you, guys. Um, I, I was actually kind of uh, the last one. I, to I was do the it. last one, and then when I did it, I was like real facetious about it because I I didn't I didn't want to do it. I was just in a bad mood, uh, but I did finally change it. But uh, <laughs> I'm the ghost of old Dale Earnhardt <laughs> on <True>. the Discord. <laughs> um, <laughs> so today we're going to talk about some monsters, some signal screams, and some other frightastic elements of the hobby that we both love. 
Uh, regarding Signal or Screams, I wanted to ask you, Adam, um, how's it been running a horror-themed adventure path, especially considering that the podcast really didn't start in that genre? Um, I've enjoyed it. I don't, I don't know if I want to say more than I thought I would, but yeah, like maybe more than I thought I would. You know, like I had, I I thought it, I when I read Signal of Screams, I was really excited about it. I've been excited about it for, for a long time. Um, but like, I guess I've, it's, it's been a genre that I've been able to play with easier than I thought it would be, you know, because I'm not, I'm not a huge horror buff. I've definitely read a good bit of horror and seen a lot of horror, but I wouldn't call that a favorite genre of mine, um, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I do like psychological thrillers and I, I like to kind of explore that space where fear is there. And, um, Signal of Screams is, is really cool because it, it, it gives me the opportunities to make powerful PCs feel a little scared, you know, which is really hard to do in a game like Starfinder or Pathfinder when, where the PCs are designed to be extremely powerful, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think the feeling is mutual between the two of us that the horror is not really our thing. Um, so. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll praise you for it in just a second. But, uh, so I had one more question about your running of Signal of Screams. Uh, would you say, uh, now that you've switched into the horror genre and you, you said maybe you're a little nervous about it, have you had any really noticeable challenges in GMing horror as opposed to, you know, any of the many other APs and genres that you've GMed? Uh, pacing. Pacing was the biggest challenge of this to make sure that it didn't rush things, but didn't slow burn it so much to where the tension was lost, you know, um, deciding when and where to reveal certain parts of information, you know, that that was certainly challenging. And then just keeping up with all the extra stuff, all the mechanics of the corruption and the haunting of New Elysium, there's, you know, there was a good bit going on there that is so responsive to what y'all are doing, you know, so it's, right. it's difficult to plan ahead a lot uh, on that. And so, yeah, the, the pacing and the timing of it was, I think, the biggest challenge. But it was a fun challenge, you know, and it was something that I enjoyed sinking my teeth into. Well, I think I think the interesting thing about that is that that challenge I think is reciprocal like the the challenge that you're suffering as far as like getting the pacing right and, and having to be reactive to all of us like that's the exact same thing we're going through which to some degree you know PCs always have to be reactive or whatever but it's it's tough for us to get a get our bearings as far as like what we should be doing and, and what we might be messing up you know mm -hmm. and and it's it's challenging on both ends but because of that it's rewarding you know yeah um what what i say what i will say is that what i really like about it is is you know in apropos to what we're talking about today is that the monsters of this ap are so interesting and fun like nice 
there's you know like i really liked aeon throne but so many of the enemies were variations of human soldiers you know right whereas well here, i mean that's here, what happens when you're doing a nazi fighting campaign right and it was it was it was great like i still really really love that ap but here you know i'm getting a much wider variety of monsters and abilities and effects that they cause you know and it's a lot of fun to play with those you know? yeah well and with aeon throne <clears throat> i think um, because it's so human focused, that's why they throw an outpost Z in there. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, here's a million aliens. All right, you're not going to get right. another one for the rest of the time. You know? Right, right. Um, well, I do think you've done a great job running Signal of Screams thus far, man. Like, you've kept all of us on the edge of our seats. And as I said, horror isn't a genre I'm normally very into. So I think it's a testament to the AP and to your interpretation and presentation of it that the experience of being a player has been so enjoyable and in turn so uncomfortable right i mean that's kind of the point right right so a lot of that discomfort we all feel at times in signal of screams is because of the more psychological horror that that you said you were interested in that the ap has been based around um i'm personally much more comfortable when we roll initiative against a monster or a bad guy than when we have to deal with a corruption or a will save or something right. like that. Which is not to say I don't appreciate those aspects of the game or the AP. They're what give it its flavor and its suspense. But <clears throat> as cerebral and psychological as Signal of Screams is, it does also have plenty of monsters and baddies, like you said. And that kind of brings me to the focus of this Tom Talks, and that is the topic of monsters. So, buddy, let's talk about some monsters. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, I will say, while doing my research for this Tom Talks, I discovered probably the coolest field of academic study I have never thought of, which is monstrophy. And and it is the study of the particular cultural notions expressed in a society's idea of monsters. Wow. Interesting. Like, I I wish I could go back in time and be like, I want to major in monstrophy, and I want to be a monstrophist. Um... (laughs) So, you know, uh, I know a lot of people are interested in the mechanics of it and everything, and we'll get to some mechanics and stuff later. Um, I'm not a great mechanical person other than, you know, soldiers. <laughs> you know, like, right. I, I'm good at the mechanics of that, but, like, that's why I don't play a lot of uh, magic people. It's like I have to really spend some time to get used to it. So, first of all, let's spend a little bit of time figuring out what we mean when we talk about monsters. I mean... The concept of the monster is ubiquitous. The idea is so deeply ingrained in us as people that it can be easy to gloss over ever taking the time to define or analyze the term, right? Um, In the classical sense, monsters are defined mostly by a couple of factors. First, they're they're grotesque. Uh, And I mean grotesque like they're fantastically ugly or bizarre or just distinctly different than people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, their noticeable differences from common humans is what makes them monsters, which is why in a literary sense, monsters have always been fascinating, not only as antagonists, which they, you know, primarily were in the, the olden days, but as sympathetic and misunderstood protagonists as well, or, or if not protagonists, just sympathetic characters mm-hmm. like your, your Frankenstein's monster. Right. Um, Because honestly, a monster is nothing more than something other than human that frightens us. Uh, Which leads me to the second defining trait of monsters in this classical sense. And and I think this is the real kicker, is 
what makes a monster a monster is their disruption of the social or moral order, right? Like, a monster wouldn't be a problem if it didn't mess with your day-to-day life or make you question your morals or make you do extreme things, right? Based on fear, generally fear, but, you know, desperation, things like that. Um, So the word monster itself comes from the Latin monstrum, which is derived from the verb monio, which means to remind, to warn, to instruct, or to foretell, basically to show. And it usually denotes pretty much anything strange or contrary to the perceived usual course of nature. I mean, that's, you know, that that's one of the big things about monsters, especially like with its religious roots and its um, mythological roots, is that it's a monster is anything perceived to be outside of what the norm is what is natural right exactly um and historically the tendency has been to view anything outside of one's normal understanding of the world and how it works as both evil and as monstrous um in greek and roman times birth defects were seen as omens of evil right and like someone with a birth defect is not a monster that's that's a misunderstanding right it's just Mm -hmm. a fear that, that people have um but the fact is, uh, many of the many uh, I will try that again. <laughs> uh, the fact is, many times the idea of what a monster is has been rooted in misunderstanding, both in the real world and in folklore and literature. Uh, which again is why monsters make for great sympathetic characters. I find it really interesting that as much as monsters in folklore and literature disrupt the social and moral order through their sheer destruction, which is kind of your archetypal monster just as often it's just the fear and misunderstanding of the monster that leads to disruption because of the actions of the members of the society involved in that monster's tale right again frankenstein which mary shelley's frankenstein is kind of the modern basis for the monster tale the monster movie the sympathetic the sympathetic monster monster, right right Mm -hmm. so i mean really as trite as it is in many ways the real monsters are us you know, I mean, I know that every every show in the world that deals with monsters in the modern era has that, you know, kind of thread, even, even your walking deads and stuff like that. Well, that's that's what Lovecraft Country is about. Right. For sure. Um, I mean, that that disruption of social and moral order that defines monsters uh, often represents a fear of what we as people may become if we succumb to our baser emotions uh, or, or what we may do in times of desperation, like starvation, you may lead to cannibalism, those kinds of mm-hmm. things. So the grotesqueness of monsters in folklore and mythology is often metaphorical for these emotions and vi- violations of morality or of behavior. Um, so, you know, I'll get off my philosophical soapbox for a minute. I just, just, just I went down, I, I told you this before the show, I went down a rabbit hole you know, getting into mythology and, and folklore about what monsters well, are, you know? Well, well, as you do for these, I mean, that's just, this is kind of how you, how you go about these, you know what I mean? I, I'd be surprised if you didn't have a philosophical take on. Right. Well, monsters, when even, you know? even minutes before we got on to record, I was watching, uh, Crash Course has a mythology course now. Mm. And I watched like five episodes on Crash Course about witches and hags and dragons and serpents and all that. Um, 
So anyways, the concept of the monster can be kind of complicated in an academic sense, but it's a little different in games like D&D and Pathfinder and Starfinder and other RPGs where there are so many varying species to play as characters. It kind of does beg the question, like, what makes something a monster in these games as opposed to just a creature? Hmm. I mean, within the game, I mean, I, th- I think it's just a matter, unfortunately, it's probably not the answer that you're looking for, but I think that's just a matter of terminology, you know? Um, because creature is basically anything that is statted, you know, like a human is considered a creature, you know, by the, but within the, you know, the contextual rules of the game, right? So when it says target any creature, that can be anything, right? But we often call monsters, monsters based on our own, you know, social understanding of the term, you know, so we, we might call like an Aslanti soldier, uh, a soldier or a Nazi or whatever. But when we see a zombie, we're more, much more likely to articulate that as a monster. Well, but all, you know? but also, and this is, you know, a lot more of your, your more modern in, uh, tendencies and interpretations in the same kind of token, you might see a Nazi, you know, murdering or advocating for genocide or something and call them a monster, you know? And, yeah, and, yeah. We, and we mean that metaphorically, but even that is like kind of a weird slippery slope because monsters are metaphors. So, like, mm-hmm. there's nothing to say a human can't be a monster other than the classical sense of that monsters are something physically right. other than human, right? Mm. Uh, but, but you know, that just goes back to, like, what if we're, ta- if we're talking <laughs> as close to the term literal can, can mean literal <laughs> in a TTRPG since everything is an abstraction and a, a, an illustration or whatever. Um, it just, you know, I, I constantly kind of wonder about that now since I've been doing the, the the research. Like, what do we, where do we draw that line, you know? Because, like, <clears throat> what what were the little uh, electric monkeys in the very Hobgars. beginning? Hobgars. Mm-hmm. So would you call Hobgars monsters? No. No? Mm-mm. They were disrupting the social order. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, know? like, I mean, like, I don't call a lot of things monsters. Um you know, like, just because maybe it's because I'm running them. You know what I mean? So there might be like, like a personal connection there to it. You know, in that sense, in you know, but like Hobgars were just indigenous creatures of that planet. You know, and while they they posed a minor threat and had some aggressive tendencies, they weren't really monsters in the sense of being disruptive of the society, you know, they, they're indigenous species there. They are very much part of the natural order of Nakondas, you know, as, as much as I wouldn't call a bear in the woods, a monster, you know, but you still might need to fight a bear. Right. You know, you, well, but again, kind of to your point, like a, a lot of it, how people perceive these things comes down to their individual perception and experiences. Someone who was, viciously attacked by a bear might for the rest of their lives consider a bear a monster. Well, know? yeah, but I can't speak to those experiences. You know, if you ask me what I would call a monster, I can only, based on the definition that you just outlined, right. can only call a monster something that is disruptive to my natural order. You know what I mean? As a person, 
right? And so, like, a bear, yeah, but, you know, yeah, it might be monstrous what a bear does. And, you know, when you're telling the story of, I was in the woods and I ran away from this bear and he was monstrous in size, you know, you embellish your story to make it more exciting. But a bear is a bear and should be in the woods. It's not disruptive of the natural order, you know? Right. I mean, I, that's where it's supposed I, to be. I don't you know? disagree with you. It just behooves now, me if, to play. If I saw advocate. a human being morph into a bear and become a bear, I might call that a monster. I disagree, but only because of some videos I was watching just before this. But anyway, we're, we're I digress. Um, so, but but that you know kind of brings up uh, another train of thought which is like in ttrpgs like your characters can be evil your characters can be Mm -hmm. strange looking and your characters can be potentially monstrous you can play like monstrous races right right Mm -hmm. so in a in a way it seems to me that the term monster in ttrpgs has become a bit of a catch-all for some people not mm-hmm. for the strange, the evil, or the terrifying, but for creatures that are designed just to be enemies of the party. It's just, you know, for, it, it can be, for a lot of people, just a matter of your perspective that, like, people t- have a tendency to call anything that you might run into that's not, like, an average human. Okay, well, now well, we're going to go fight this monster, right? That probably comes back from the legacy of Dungeons & Dragons, where, you know, the enemy book was the monster manual, you know, so like all of the enemies that you would throw at your players was in the monster manuals. So like, I think that's, I think within the world of TTRPGs, that that might be a a legacy thing there. And I've noticed that Pathfinder and Starfinder both actually move away from monsters as a term Um, for Pathfinder. They call it the bestiary. Right. And then for, for Starfinder, it's the alien archive. So it's like, Okay, these are creatures. So where it might be a monster for the party in this particular situation, this creature comes from somewhere where it's supposed, you know, where it's a natural state. You know what I mean? So like if you think about like Eox, right? We would certainly call those monsters in a normal day-to-day conversation. If yeah, we the were. undead of Eox, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Like that's the, you know, that's they seem like monsters, but them they have their own own culture and planet and, and species and, and place in, in the natural order. They're part of the packed world. So they're not monsters. They're an alien. You know, they're a different type of alien. Well you see, know? even the term alien kind of ties into this and just like you know, wrinkles my brain a little bit with that because like uh, much like a lot of people use the term monster just based on their perspective and the function of what they're doing, the same is mm-hmm. true for alien because, like, every alien is from somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. you, a, mm-hmm. alien is inherently a term that is based on you having the perspective of them being alien to where you're from. Right, right. And so, I mean, that is a, a interesting term to use in, in that perspective. You know, um, I guess the the point that I'm trying to make is that when I think of monsters as in the term monster, I generally think of, you know, the classical sense of a monster. Yeah, the you like archetypal I mean? monster. Yeah, I mean, you know, something like that, right? So, like, for instance, the, the shadow baby seems like a monster to me. 
you know, even though that's not like based on an archetypal, you know, werewolf or vampire or zombie or anything like that, you know, but it still seems very monstrous to me. Whereas, like the Gloomwing, well, when it, kind when, of a monster, when, when but I, not when really. When I say archetypal, I don't mean like your Frankenstein or your okay, your uh, vampire or whatever. Those actually are fairly recent in the grand scheme of the history of monsters. Like by mm. archetypal monster, I mean your uh, dragons or your like Grendel in Beowulf. Mm-hmm. Like the you mm-hmm. know way back, like the the this is a an other that is decidedly non-human that is like vicious and and violent and powerful and, yeah, seeks and, is, destruction. and, and its yeah. destruction is what is causing the social you know disruption right um so i mean you know with that you know i don't i don't say any of this to knock monsters in ttrpgs at all um, I th- one of the most fascinating things to me about TTRPGs is because they're based in fantasy or science fantasy that they can use these mythological creatures and monsters or whatever in a in a setting that we can engage with them, you know. And that's that's one of the broad appeals of the game and of the genre. But I do think, to some degree, that within the confines of an RPG or a TTRPG, that how we view monsters is is very much determined by the function they're intended to serve within the game mm-hmm. right so you can't have a fantasy combat game without fantastical beasts and creatures to overcome and to to be fair monsters also serve this function in mythology because heroes need big baddies to slay just like we do as players mm-hmm. you know yep uh Anyway, that, like I said, went down a rabbit hole of figuring out what monsters were the last couple of days. So, uh, philosophical musings aside, let's get into some like in-game monster talk. And what better okay. place to start than Signor Screams, the spooky AP we're playing right now. All right. Um, in particular, I wanted to talk about uh, what we've referred to as the shadow baby that you just brought up. Right. Uh, I wanted to talk about maybe the ghost of old Gardenzio. Okay. Um, as well, um, can you give me like a quick rundown? Of, and I know Gardenzio's is kind of complicated. Um, maybe he's not a monster per se, but can you give me a rundown of these two? Yeah, well, let's talk about the Shadow Baby first. Um, it is actually called a Velstrak. Is the actual name of the? Um, How do you spell that, Velstrak? Yeah, V E L S T R A C. Now, Velstrak is like a type of race um similar to like a swarm so there's different variations of velstrax the type of one that you encountered at new elysium is a cantor velstrax uh it's a cr9 creature okay uh so pretty pretty powerful um you guys were level eight i think at the time right when you faced i believe so yeah yeah um so a big thing with this particular monster is that they have a lot of illusory and like nightmare inducing effects. All right. Um, so, you know, it just has a unnerving gaze, um, which is what you guys were rolling fortitude saves against when you could see it before it went invisible. 
Um, and if you can see it and you fail your save, you know, you're shaken for one round. Um, so that can be, I don't know. It's, it's the, it's whole deal is to impose fear and confusion and paranoia, um, against its foes. And so that's why it kind of taunted you throughout the adventure, studying you, getting to know you, creating like some doubt and uncertainty in your mind of whether or not you were seeing or not. It's, it's almost like a game for the Cantor to, to kind of torment its, their victims. Um, I boosted the Velstract because it's a five player party. Um, so I boosted a lot of the monsters against y'all, particularly in signal screams. Um, it has an ability called waking nightmare. Okay. Or I'm sorry, or not waking nightmare. Uh, it has a spell like ability called nightmare, um, which is a spell that was introduced in the back matter of this book. Um, and essentially what it does is they come to you in the middle of the night while you're sleeping and get in your mind and cause you to have, you know, a, a fit, uh, a night of fitful sleeping, which is what you experienced Heath with Mike. Okay. Um, and so normally when you fail the save, which you did, you wake up, you're afraid you can't go back to sleep for a minute and then you have to make the check again, which you did. Right. And you pass the second time. What I added is that if you fail the first one, you would get the fatigued condition. Oh, so, okay. So I added that to to the spell to make it a little stronger against y'all. Um, so you still got your full night's rest, but you were you didn't get a good night's rest. So you got your like stamina back and all your you know some HP and all the things that you'd normally get, but you woke up fatigued right. because you were still, you know, going through fitful sleep. Um, normally that fatigued condition doesn't come with the first fail save. Yeah. You got to get a second one. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, it's, it's a really interesting enemy and it was fun to kind of play him out throughout this book, you know, to kind of tease him in and out, uh, you know, mix him in with the phantasm. So you weren't sure if it was something you were actually seeing or not, if it was just another hallucination or, or what, what it was. And it really, I think created a lot of the initial drama, um, in this book, you know, that was the first time that two people saw the same thing that was out of whack. You know, or yeah. three, really, because well, you saw it for which, a half a second. Which ironically, like, causes some of the drama, but also functionally, like, provided some solidarity, you know, to where it's like, hey, we're not crazy. Like, we're, this is a real thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, which I think at that point, we all knew something was up, you know, something was off here, or whatever, but it is, uh, you know, a relief to be able to both see the same thing right in in this strange situation that we're in in signal screams yeah um it, you know it's it was a great tool to use f for multiple reasons and to kind of have a thread that was going through the adventure and then you know to have you guys kind of face them at the at the peak of the mine exploration it was really i, I really enjoyed running the velstrak 
Um, it has a couple of other, uh, you know, I will say this uh, ability that, cause I didn't get to use it. So it oh, yeah. Give it, give us some, uh, some free content here, daddy. Yeah. Yeah. So like you guys saved against this every time, but when you take damage from the Velstrat Cantor's claw, you have to succeed at a will save or the pain lingers in your mind, dealing an additional D4 damage or an additional 2d4 damage if it's a critical hit at the start of each of your turn for one minute. Oh, I think you tried to get me with that. I tried I, to get everybody I, yeah, with I, it. That, I, I know, ended up passing, I think, two will saves. I know. It was a DC 18 will save, and you were passing it. You know, like, Well, I think, I think there's this misconception that Mike has horrible will. Like, Mike has a plus seven to will. Like, he's not great at it, but he's not terrible at it, you know? Yeah, I mean, still, I thought I was going to get you with it. Right. You know what I mean? I really did. Um, the the Velstrak, I, I just wanted to bring this up because, like I said earlier, I was watching a bunch of videos about monsters uh, in mythology leading up to this. The Velstrak is really interesting to me because it reminds me of, like, the traditional concept of what a hag is. So mm-hmm. I learned today that the term nightmare comes from the, the myth of the hag because originally hags what they would do is while you're asleep they would come and sit on your chest and implant negative thoughts and and memories and nightmares and the original term for hag was mare so nightmare was was a yeah well that's if you remember in um our tomb of annihilation game the hags did that kind of stuff to you right but now now i understand it better you know yeah right and we had well and baba yaga was in that bad boy too which is like a hag on steroids mm-hmm. it's like the main main hag right alright let's see um, and so then you were asking about the um, uh, Gardenzio the ghost right yeah alright so what I did here so the the deal with this is that it's not really a creature. You guys weren't really fighting a creature. Um, you were fighting a trap or a haunt, I guess, would be the, the closest thing. You know, it's not identified as that in the book, but I'm pretty sure that this is what... Um, I think you told us you, know, you told us it was a trap. Yeah, it's, it's a trap. And so, it's in the book, it's just tortured apparitions, right? But... You know, this I thought was a good place to bring in Gardenzio's story, and I kind of rewrote some of it to to be skinned with Gardenzio, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, what you were really doing there was fighting an entire cloud of spirits. Okay. Um, and so they had they were treated as a mass of undead creatures. Okay. Uh, with an EAC of 19, a KOC of 23, and 120 hit points. And then if they needed to roll any saving throws, they'd get a plus 8. They have normal undead immunities and can be harmed by positive energy and take half damage from non-magical, non-area attacks. So that's, you know, why you guys were struggling to hit them so badly and the reason why Oren was the only one who could really leverage his abilities against it. Um... Yeah, I mean, I felt but, completely useless against that trap. Well, well, which I, mean, I knew you would, right? Like, just based on your build and what you were going up against and how resistant they are to just normal attacks, right. you know, which I thought was 
great considering it was appropriate. the yeah the story of it you know and um so yeah that was that was a lot of fun it's you know it, it i don't know why when i first read that i was like really it, i may be overcomplicating it in my mind like trying to figure out how it how it all worked but i think once we got into the the session it i it made a lot of sense and was you know one of the more interesting encounters of the mine um yeah well and with that encounter i i've i think i've mentioned to you like um you know just personally that i i felt kind of shitty like after that encounter because like it's it puts mike in a position where he feels so useless and you skinned it so well to be gardenzio you know which is mm-hmm. so personal to mike's story and I think it's, I feel less shitty about it now that I've had some time to think about it because I think it's appropriate that like I felt paralyzed in that moment as a player and as Mike, like I felt really like unable to do anything both in an RP sense and a combat sense. Like I didn't know how to, like, it's not really Gardenzio and like it just in the narrative, it's like a the ghost of Gardenzio taken over Mm -hmm. by these restless spirits or whatever so it was like i don't know how to communicate it with it in a meaningful way and i don't know how to combat it in a meaningful way and i think that's actually really appropriate to like what it is now that i've had time to think about it but i I know like after we finished recording that episode i was like man i really wish i could have done more with that like but i don't know what i could have done because it's not like i'm gonna talk to gardenzio and get any kind of you know release from that Right, right, right. It's just like a imprint of a former. Exactly, exactly. You know, when I do think um, it's interesting that, like you said, like it being a trap, and for you to be able to to sell it like as a ghost, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, you know, ghost and spirit, they're the you more more ethereal than like your monster or creature or whatever. But for it to have like a a more physical seeming form and a more personal kind of form like that. I thought it's a really cool twist on what that trap is. Yeah. I, I, I thought it worked out good too. I, I enjoyed it and uh, y'all handled it pretty well. So, <laughs> well, one of us did. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Thank God for Aaron, right? Mm hmm. Uh, he, he, he might be moments. grumpy, man, but he, he's essential. He's an essential <laughs> worker, you know? Yeah. He makes sure you guys stay alive, that's for sure. Okay. So, you know, obviously, like, we're still doing Signal of Screams. I don't want to dig too far into that. We're going to do a post-book wrap-up after each of the books, and we'll have one of those coming up before too long. Um, So I wanted to take a few minutes and let's uh, maybe go over some of the more notable monsters we ran into either in the APA arc prior to this, so against the Aeon Throne, or maybe in Hideous Tomfoolery with the Swarm. We can do the Swarm. Sure. Yeah, well, let's talk about the twin soul. That's my favorite favorite from, monster from against from, the Aeon Throne. Okay. Yeah, um, just because it's such a crazy. It was thing. wild, dude. That that episode or two episodes involving that were harrowing, and and again, like I think one of the best things you can have going for you as a GM with your monsters is when they're complex enough to be really intimidating and really mysterious and have your players like i don't know how to approach this i don't know what Mm -hmm. to do against this even if i roll knowledge checks against it you know right 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 
Which this was before you guys were reading knowledge checks or doing knowledge uh, checks. I, so. I do not do knowledge checks. <laughs> you know. Um, so, so, so some basics on the twin soul. Uh, CR eight creature. They are l- a large aberration. What I thought was interesting is that the language that they speak is Aklo. Um, oh, the water I, people. The like the the weird fish mermaid people. I guess so. Yeah. Um, Am, am I am I confusing? No, I'm thinking Kalo. I'm sorry. Kalo is, is Akatonian, right? No, we've we've cleared that up before. Akatonian is Akatonian. Oh, well, whatever. They speak Aklo. Um so they have a pretty high defense there. EAC of 20, KAC of 22. They're unflankable. Um uh, they're immune to cold and radiation. Um However, they are more vulnerable when they're on the ethereal plane, although they exist simultaneously on the ethereal and material plane. But if you hit them while you're on the ethereal plane, they take more damage. So, hey, once and for all, we can clear this up. Aklo, because it it has a lot of similar letters as Hakatoni, and I can see the confusion. Aklo is the language of Octurn. Octurn is like the Pluto. Of, yeah. of the Pact Worlds and is in fact like basically a living tumor. And and and, just, and there's I, I'm sorry, I don't mean I just wanted to say there's a a large percentage of people that prescribe to the theory that a like great old one type creature lives inside of Octurn and that it's just an egg incubating like well, a f- yeah. fucking uh Cthulhu monster. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised considering that this thing has ties to that. I guess. Yeah. Um, let me just read its description real quick, and it's it's a really interesting creature. A dweller in two worlds, a twin soul is an aberration that floats simultaneously through the vacuum of space and the void of the ethereal plane, seeking out thinning planar barriers. No one is certain where the twin souls originated or what purpose they serve but many scholars of cosmic phenomena find them fascinating. Twin souls have two bodies, one on each plane. These bodies remain close together across planar boundaries. However, they can separate the ethereal twin soul providing its physical counterpart a ghostly partner in battle. The ethereal portion is particularly ephemeral and thus vulnerable to ethereal attack and force effects. Normally, a twin soul melds with its ethereal half once per day and only for a fleeting moment to restore 8d6 of hit points. Um, however, when the twin soul discovers a rift between the material plane and the ethereal plane, it can perform an extended meld known as the joining. During this period of togetherness, the twin soul mates with itself and creates a single spawn. Such an offspring stays with its parents for several decades before attaining maturity and departing on its own ineffable mission. The twin soul resembles a floating sphere of fluid about 12 feet in diameter with several probing tentacles and weighs only a few pounds. Dude, that is so wild. <clears throat> like, the, the, the name twin soul is so apt, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's, it functionally is two different creatures that are mirrors of each other in two different planes, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it said it's the ethereal plane and the physical plane. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just making sure I'm not misunderstanding. Um, but that's so wild that, like, they live in, like, two different planes. It, it's like, um, oh, what's it called? 
enta uh, entangled particles, like where you spin one particle that's entangled with another, and it can be on the other side of the galaxy, and it it has the exact same behavior. Hmm. Um, that, I don't. That's know. some uh, Michio Kaku level shit. You Google <laughs> it. It's it's one of those things when I was like twenty. Or are you 19 or 20 that is like, you know, mind blowing. <laughs> like, right. so, but that the twin soul is, is akin to that. It's such an interesting villain being in two places at once. And they like overlap for a brief period of time, uh, just a fleeting moment every day to recharge each other. Kind of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what I'm confused about is like when they, it, they mate or it, it, it's considered one thing. But the two, the ethereal and physical parts of it mate to make a baby. And it says it stays with its parents. Like, where does it stay? Where does the baby stay? Uh, in both the ethereal and the material plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so confusing. Yeah. Is it um, doubly powerful and existing in two places at once? There's a lot of questions here. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was a hell of a monster for y'all to fight for it sure. Was. I think it, I think it was one of the first like real true monsters that the APA fought. Um, it was you know in the sense of just this unknowable beast that right. that was really scary. And, I, you and know? I think if we're just going by the classical definition we outlined of monsters, that it, it if nothing else does, this fits the bill of like a decidedly grotesque like outside of the physical norm of any of the races you can play in the game uh, like mm -hmm. physically and then also very much disrupts what we know of the natural order of things hmm. well uh, then there's the swarm yeah and there's so much about the swarm you know like there's there, I, I can't even begin to get into all of it I, but what's what's interesting about it is that they are definitely the trope of of you know like the zerg from starcraft or or just you know the bugs from starship troopers starship troopers right. you know like they evolve and and take on all sorts of different shapes based on particular needs of the swarm you know it's all this big hive mind and they're called each of the different types of swarm enemies are called components um, as they're all components in some grand machine that the hive mind is right that, is running like just the term using the term components makes it feel mm -hmm. so impersonal and mechanical it is impersonal they have no emotions right uh, which makes them resistant to a lot of like will save stuff um, and they they are just all about devouring and consuming you know, like that's what they do. Right. They well, and I guess that's kind of one of the things that um, confuses me or, or maybe even irritates me a little bit about the swarm is my inability to understand their motivations. Because, like, you know, one of, one of the things that always peeves me a little bit with enemies is, like, you know, the cult of the devourer type thing. Like, the, mm -hmm. like, just destruction for destruction's sake. Like, there's no end goal. There's well, no. No so personal it's, it's gain, less, you know? Yeah, it's less that. It's that they will go to a planet and harvest every bit of organic matter that they can then convert into energy and of evolution for themselves. To grow. You know, 
to yeah to continue to evolve and become the dominant species so it's in the entire universe. yeah so it's almost like an evolutionary version of like gluttony yeah mm-hmm. that's wild yes. so can so and I was very hesitant to even talk about the swarm going into this one because we're playing Attack of the Swarm. I don't want to try to, you know, impose on you and try to get you to reveal something that you shouldn't. But I was going to say, like, where we are in Hideous Time Foolery, can you give us, like, you know, kind of a, an overview of what... To, have we only run into one or two types of the swarm so far? Oh, uh, you've run into, I think, about five different components um if you count the fleet fury you know their starship component um there's the dredger which is kind of your basic you know you know low level half cr swarm um and these are the diggers right that they They pop up out of the ground yeah they pop up out of the ground and they attach to to their enemies they're they're the ones that we were incorrectly calling face huggers correct correct um and they they are their big thing is that they come in in packs individually they're pretty easy to kill but they try to overwhelm with numbers um the second one that you fought was the vorfomas and they're the flying swarm you know kind of like your your basic flying troop and they shoot little arm barbs with poison um, and they can fly around and they can cast a couple spells. They can cast fear and lesser confusion. They they basically have been given a little bit of mind power from the host. Right. Uh, they're not just um, like mindless drones as much. I mean, they're, yeah, they're not far from it, but they have a little bit more ability. As you know, a little bit more tactical sense. Um, then there's the Convesite, um, and this is basically your like transport uh, component. It has folds under its uh, exoskeleton where it can like hold other swarm components, and so it's like a big tank basically that goes in and then drops a bunch of smaller swarm components out from it. You fought one of those in the temple okay of hylax and then all right yeah so in the final one that you fought a uh, couple maybe small spoilers here for hideous tomfoolery if you haven't got there uh but it's called a swarm core box and this is a cr3 component um its big thing is that it has an acid cannon for an arm on its forearm no big deal um, right yeah no big deal uh, you know, and truly, it's it's in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. I mean, it does a D4 plus three acid damage. It does have the critical corrode effect, which... Oh, know, that I mean, that can be pretty clutch. At low levels, that can be rough. You know, that can definitely... Yeah, well, and that's up. the thing is we are, like, level three characters. Well, I think at the time you were level two when you fought this <laughs> thing, even, too. So. Even better. Yeah, um, it also has psychic assault which it, um, again, kind of ranks it up a little bit higher in the swarm component hierarchy. Um, and all swarm have the swarm mind ability um, as, it, as they are bound together into a singular hive mind. 
um, by a blend of exuded pheromones, imperceptible movements of antennae, and limbs, electrostatic fields, and telepath- telepathic communication. So all swarms, all swarm creatures within 30 feet of each other are in constant communication. If one is aware of a threat, all of them are. Such awareness can spread along a chain of swarm creatures under appropriate circumstances, potentially alerting distant swarm creatures. So as long as they're within 30 feet, you can, it, it can pass all the way like across the planet. Instant knowledge. Um, in addition, once per round, when within 30 feet of another swarm creature, a swarm creature can roll twice and take the better result on a saving throw against a mind-affecting effect, which you guys did experience a little bit in Hideous Tomfoolery. So that's about as much as I can talk about the swarm, not as much as I want to, but as much as I can. I will, I will assure you that there are much more dangerous swarm components oh, awaiting you. Of course you. <laughs> there are. I mean, dude, we're level three. Right, right, yeah. In book two of a six-book adventure about the swarm. So, um you know, you will, it'll be a while, I think, actually, before you see some more swarm, because as you know, book two is a different type of thing. But, um, that being said, uh, the swarm is a fascinating whole range of monsters. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I'm part of why I'm so interested in playing Attack of the Swarm, other than that, I'm a humongous Robert Heinlein fan. So, like, mm-hmm. of course, I love the Starship Trooper vibes. I actually watched it like right when we started. <laughs> I watched the, right. the not that great movie. Um, you shut your f- mouth. You fight me. Um, <laughs> it's it's good for what it is. But um, I love Robert Heinlein. So like obviously I'm going to be down with that. But I'm also just from an outside kind of objective perspective really interested in seeing the advance of the higher and higher and higher level mm-hmm. components of the swarm. So, um, we've kind of covered all the monsters we've dealt with in our games, uh, that are kind of the more notable ones. But this last, uh, little bit of conversation leads into the first listener question I wanted to bring up. And this is a little unfair to you. I won't lie. So I'm not going to make you answer this question, but I want to answer it. Okay. Sound good? And you're doing listener questions now? Uh, we can we can trade off, but I'm doing this one. All right. <laughs> okay. So uh, Nusheo had had asked, uh, we would love to hear you guys dig into the swarm, which we did, and what mm-hmm. variants of swarm creatures you can come up with. I'm assuming he means invent. Uh, mm-hmm. And since you probably know every fucking version of the swarm that there is published so far, obviously I'm not mm-hmm. going to let you answer that. So I'm going to give my hypothesis as All to right. a, a type of swarm that's going to come up eventually. All right? right, I like it. Okay, so my idea for a swarm component is I think there's going to be some kind of swarm component at some point that, okay, my idea came from two sources. One, did you ever see the movie The Faculty? Yeah, I have seen Back that. Back in the day. <laughs> it was a crazy movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it came from the faculty and from, like, one of my, my first probably sci-fi love as a book series was the Animorphs. So the bad guys in the Animorphs was the Yerks, and they were little slug things that invaded your brain. So kind of my idea was a comp, some kind of halfway point between the Yerks and the, the aliens in the faculty. I think there's going to be, like, 
a decent sized you know like melee style swarm like a, a beefy boy tank but that whole mm-hmm. thing is going to be a diversion because it's real strategy is to implant you with little like slug or like little bug swarms that um and and i'm going to try to be as mechanical as i can with this like if you fail a save you either get con- you, you get confusion and you just attack whoever's around you you know or something like that or, or like you you know they control you for a couple rounds but if you crit fail like you have five or ten rounds of like now that swarm component controls you and you've completely lost agency of your character hmm. and you have to hmm. you have to attack whatever they make you attack hmm hmm <laughs> I like it yeah <laughs> that that was my thought as soon as I saw the question with the like what what would you come up with it's like the most terrifying thing to me as a player is having little fucking slug bugs injected into my ears and now somebody controls my brain and my body mm. yeah 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 Yeah. so that's that's my hypothesis it's a good one um well we have some other listener questions my friend um old scratch johnson ask from a GM perspective what are your favorite monster abilities to use against a party and and so to answer that I like any ability that imposes conditions or or like changes the dynamic of the battlefield you know so I like the abilities that that throw the players off of their normal routine you know make them have to think differently and do things differently um i you know we joke about a lot i'm not actually particularly fond of the abilities that force me to take control of of one of the pcs you know despite what he's great idea right there i think that's much more my own personal fear than it is i think you're trying to do that all the time yeah, I mean, I, I don't particularly like that. What I do like is, like, you know, as I said, some sort of ability. Like, I really liked the Gloomwing's ability with the potential days effect with the wings, you know, um, those types of things. So, you know, that's, that's, from a GM perspective, I like a creature to have an ability that is beyond I hit hard and do lots of damage, you know. Right, I mean, can do can you do you have a specific example other than the Gloomwing of of something that you've really really liked? Well, I liked what um, the paranoia thing effect that happened to Fell in the Shadow Baby yeah, fight. Yeah, well, and that's a spell. And so those are the types of you know that was like he was completely out of sorts there and in force the party to direct some attention towards Fell to keep him safe and from attacking the rest of the party, you know, I thought that was a, a was really cool as a specific example. Right. Um, so I, I'll, I'll jump in with this one because it's going to be really quick and disappointing. Um, so uh, Tuscan Raider asked, uh, just curious if anybody had used the monster build rules in Alien Archive to actually build a monster and use it in your game. How did it go? Unfortunately, we have not done that. I mean, we're running an AP 
right? So right. I, I would like to do that at some point just because I love the idea of, like, that they have a system for build, for hodgepodging yeah. together your own monster. Well, Brian asked us if we could build one on air, and Heath and I were talking before we, we hit record tonight that we might revisit monsters as a topic and, and do that, like, kind of have a specific kind of monster warehouse type tom talks where we build some monsters right and maybe I, we'll I, even fight them against each other and see what happens i think i know? think that's a good idea and like don't hold us to it if we let you down you know and and decide <laughs> to pivot to a different topic but i really would like i feel like it would work well because this has been kind of a philosophical deconstruction of the monster as mm-hmm. opposed to a more mechanical thing so we could do a whole other tom talks on like monster mechanics and, and right Right, you know, that, and there's a there's quite a few questions that y'all ask that I think would be better suited for that. Um, right, so we we so. may end up doing another Tom talks for that, um, but yeah, we'll 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 let you know. All right, so our our local egg asked what was half red. Uh, let me tell you about half red here. Uh, she mm. was a goddamn gem. That's what she was. Half red was what's called a Stellifera. And this is actually a playable species. Um, <laughs> you can be like a half-red? Like, you can be a half-red. Or you can um, be a whole yellow or a quarter orange. <laughs> right. So they are diminutive creatures resembling cuttlefish. Stellifera's evolved in a deep-sea environment and spent millennia as nomads, developing psychic abilities and exploring their watery planet parent the itinerant and dispersed nature of their society made it so that when aslanti landed and started harvesting resources it took centuries of pollution and climate change before the stellifera's realized they were on a crash course with extinction they began to experiment with ways of living beyond their native environment and developed psychokinetic water bodies that allow them to survive outside their element stellifera's normally confers through a complex color language changing skin in nearby water to various hues supplemented with limited telepathy so they had to rely on augmentations to communicate with their planet's invaders. The first Stellifera ambassadors to negotiate with the Aslanti received a curt offer of passage off-world. Today, Stellifera's have spread across the Star Empire, seeding worlds with colonies and minimizing chances that a single event might cause their annihilation. Most Stellifera's prefer life underwater, but others are eager explorers of land and space, and their psychokinetic water bodies are now familiar to travelers across the Aslanti Empire. Um, yeah, so as, as their racial traits, if you wanted to play one, they have a plus two wisdom, plus two charisma, a minus two to con, and a minus four to strength. They start with only two hit points, they are diminutive in size. Diminutive. Uh, diminutive. Uh, they do have dark vision, and they have their hydro body. Uh, so, so when they're in the hydro body, their strength score is four higher, and they get two additional hit points, and their land speed increases to 30 feet. <laughs> wait, so they can come out of it? No, they can come out of the water. Oh, can they? Yes. Out of their water body. They yes. can just be the little cuttlefish? Yes, but they are highly vulnerable at that right. point. Yeah. Okay, so two things. 
One. Okay. I fucking love Starfinder so much. <laughs> like, I love this game so much because of shit like that. Uh, and two, I do find an interesting connection. It feels to me like they're a more charisma-based version of the, the Spider Pirates. Hmm. Like because they have they communicate with colors and and stuff like that, like yeah. the flashing colors, but they they augment it with telepathy. Whereas the spider pirates, they have their own language that is just flashing colors on their crystals. Right. <laughs> but that's a really interesting uh, good, connection, I think. You know. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, you know, Outpost Z was full of wild I, species. Now there. I can't help but think that like before we ever got to Outpost Z, like Half Red and Bright Bright were like drinking buddies and because like nobody else could understand them but they could talk to each other through their flashing colors, you know? Uh go go ahead and do your fanfic whenever you're ready. Yeah, <laughs> Listeners. <yeah. laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Half Red is that race is wild. And I think uh part three, third thing. If Fell ever dies we should force him to play a Stella Fera. yeah he has to commute like the thing is he can tell us what he wants to do but he has to explain to us the emoji version of that before he does everything forever and ever right forever well until ever, he yeah. inevitably gets killed yeah you heard it here first he's gonna play uh Stella Fera for two episodes <laughs> he's, until the he's first gonna fight. get so mad at us being like why are you promising people <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's gonna play the 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 love child of Half Red and Fell. Uh, okay, do you have another one? Yeah, I'm gonna uh, take one from Wimlock, just an easy one. Who actually is in our uh, Hideous Tom Football Fantasy Football League? He says, if you could dress up as one monster, what would it be? So, kind of a you know Halloween costume question. But I'm yeah, assuming I mean, already... I'm assuming he means in Starfinder. Um, I didn't. Actually, I I thought he just meant he was asking us, you know. I think it's more fun if we say it's in Starfinder, but we can do either one. If we're doing classical monsters, um, uh, a mummy is probably my favorite, my go-to. Yeah, I mean, I've already dressed up uh, as a werewolf because that's my favorite monster, and I think that's somebody else's question too. If we want to just kind of rope that into here, uh, there. Let's see here. Yeah, Alex asked what is your favorite classic monster you know uh, mine is a werewolf and I dressed up as a werewolf because I love werewolves my screen name forever has been Lycanthropus because I love He's, werewolves this dude's real into the werewolf thing I, I would say I, I would dress up as a mummy the mummy is not my favorite classic monster what's your favorite I, I think monster? as basic as it is probably like if we're talking like Bela Lugosi like era favorite monster it's probably vampires just because there's so many good interpretations of the vampire story and vampire movies and i've played uh curse of strahd and stuff like that like there's yeah. there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with vampires and i love interview with the vampire you know right cool well what would mike dress up as in starfinder so that's fun uh mike I, I mean, dude, I, I hate to be, you know, redundant, but, like, I kind of love the idea of Mummy Mike, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's, pretty that's good. a terrifying mummy, you know? Yeah, it is. It's like, he's, it is. Uh, he's dead, but he's also swole as fuck. 
even more swole because he's bloated. Yeah. Because he's dead. Uh, well, let's let's follow that up with another one from Alex there. What kind of monster do you find the most scary? You pitching it to me first? Yeah. Um, I, I think I've made it pretty clear. My biggest fear as a player, and I think it probably is rooted in me as a human being. My, my biggest fear is, is being... Uh, controlled by someone else so anything that can like uh, what is the uh, I watched a nature documentary not long ago what are the there's like a mushroom or something that it it takes over the body of like bugs and stuff it like sends a mushroom probe like into their brain we sound so dumb not knowing this but I know, but I need to know what you're talking but about. Any, where it just, any like, kind of thing like that, like and, and like the animorphs was my first like introduction to that. The yerks were little slugs. They crawl in your brain and then they flatten out and they spread out into all the folds of your brain and they completely control you. And you, yeah, you know, like that. That has always been a f- terrifying concept to me to like be fully physically like okay if you want to think of it in terms of like HP. But to right. have absolutely no agency and just watch what the terrible things that you're doing through your own eyes, right. you know. I was going to say the same thing, like in the sense that body snatchers are the thing, you know, that those are the scariest things. And, and for for all the reasons that you said, Heath, but you know, from the other side of it, if I'm not the one infested by a body snatcher or a slug or whatever, but that that what's scary is knowing that there's something going on like that and not knowing if your friend is your friend anymore. You know what I mean? Like, that's really scary. Like, that, that, those are the types of things that scare me more than, like, slasher movies or, yeah. you know, monster movies. It's like that uncertainty of that, you know, people that look like people you know, but they're no longer those yeah, people. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I think at its core, my kind of, uh, the biggest, like kind of body horror fears the psychological fear anything in there that that i have are always like uh, they're rooted in a loss of agency you know like mm-hmm. like and and not just a loss of agency but like the age-old kind of adage of like can you really trust your mind like even if it's not an external thing taking you over like like what if the fight club thing was going on with me where I'm like, I'm a different person half the time and have no idea about the terrible nefarious things that I'm doing, you know, like just, just not having control of my body in any way (laughs) is terrifying to me. Right. All right. You got another listener question? I'm gonna. I was gonna say I have a quick one from Commodore. I don't know that this is the case based on you guys' experience. Uh, Commodore asks, "What is the best dragon fight you've ever had?" Okay, well, for me as a player, I've only fought one dragon. Um, I've thrown a couple dragons at at Heath over the years, but for me, the only dragon fight I've had was recently in a game that Commodore is running that I'm in, which is why I think he asked this question, but he also is a big fan of dragons, which I know. Um, we were recently fighting a dragon in our starship. Um, so we had a starship combat with a dragon, which was quite interesting and was not what any of us were expecting 
<laughs> uh, you know, there was we there was this guy that had been giving us hell, but we'd only communicated it with him through like audio channels. We hadn't seen him. We knew that he was referenced as like a lizard or whatever, a reptilian. And so I was thinking the whole time he was a dragon kin. Well, he showed up as we were flying towards our goal as a full ass dragon. And I tell you what, fighting a dragon in a starship is a lot of fun. Uh, we didn't win. <laughs> uh, we had oh, to you run had away. to bounce. Oh no! Yeah, we had to run away. Uh, but it was still awesome. That, it was still that really is awesome. awesome. It was like biting our ship. He was like landed on our ship and started to try to like bite into our ship. Right. And, so yeah. so that actually brings up, and I, I will answer the question after I have this fun little anecdote. Um, that actually brings up something that I find really interesting, and I was having a tough time finding a way to weasel into the monster episode that one of my favorite features of Starfinder is the ship sh- uh, ship charge ship charge monsters uh, the ship sized monsters right right so the fact that that is even a thing that's not a possibility in Pathfinder 1 or 2 in D&D like it, it takes a sci-fi game to have starship combat against an actual monster yeah. And uh, there's somewhere out there in the Starfinder world that I've read that not everybody has read, there is a, a fire whale that is a ship-sized monster that is fucking yeah. dope. Um, so to, to, for me to answer that question, yeah. um, I have played in a lot of games with Adam as my GM. He is my forever GM, except when he's not. And when <laughs> every now and then, when Emily or uh, Zach GM something for me, uh, we, uh, you know, our our history is is D and D and then Starfinder, right? We didn't do the Pathfinder one e thing. I would love to have, but that's just not how our journey went. So right. in D and D five e, our kind of magnum opus, our Jupiter, if you will, was uh, what was it? The giant one, um, Storm King's Storm Thunder, King's- right? Yeah. So, by the end of Storm King's Thunder, and spoiler alert, I'm sorry, I know people dunk on 5e all the time, so I'm just assuming they're not going to play it. Um, <clears throat> by the end of Storm King's Thunder, it was a really interesting setup to where we are on this big, um, it's like a blimp ship, right? Like, our, wasn't our ship, like, yeah, airship. Our, yeah we had yeah. an airship, like Final Fantasy style. And we're flying in. We know we have to go fight this person, high-level person who has been revealed to be a dragon. Um, and on the way there, we get attacked by a green dragon. And my character, Alamar, who is a new paladin, used to be a fighter, died, became a paladin, uh, gets the fly spell cast on him, flies to the top of the airship, and solos the green dragon, which it was a small green dragon. Or a young green dragon or whatever. Yeah, it was the one you fought from Lost Mine. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was a turning point in all of our playing experience. I'm sorry. We're, yeah. Y'all don't know what we're talking about. But, yeah, so I got to solo this green dragon, which was awesome. And then we go to this actual dragon fight, and we had made friends or, or allied with this, uh, was it a gnome that was secretly a bronze mm-hmm. dragon? Yeah. <laughs> so we were friends with a bronze dragon, and then we go to fight like a 
what, what was it? Blue dragon? A purple dragon? Yep. Blue, blue dragon? dragon? Yeah. And I, fully grown I, blue dragon. I feel like that was the turning point of when Adam was like, yeah, let's move to a new game system because that was supposed to be the ultimate big bad in in that really epic game that we had loved and really like put a lot of time and effort into and we just whooped his fucking big bad dragon yeah. like so bad he was so disappointed um and i'm sorry i'm not trying to like rub your face in it adam but like that really was like a defining factor of like all right well let's go to a different system you know yeah um, so, so my my dragon experience had three dragons involved with it. You know? <laughs> well, at the very least, I wasn't afraid to throw dragons at you guys. That's, right. that's for sure. Um, all right, I, I think I've got the last listener question here. Okay, and, and you know how I like to add, end on kind of a goofy note. Uh, do it, right? I'm, I love it. All right, so Wither Sands asks, "When will we TPK the party?" And my question to you, with a sense, is are you so ready for the APA to be over? So, so my response to that is, like, either you just really don't like all of our characters, or you're just, and this is something after my own heart, being unnecessarily antagonistic to Adam. <laughs> so I'm going to choose to believe it's the second and not that you hate Mike, Ziva, Phil, Aaron, uh, I almost said Zeno. Ooh, that hurt. <laughs> that hurt to almost say Zeno. Um, fucking rat boy. Cat boy. He's a cat. cat. boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, but he's a cat boy, but I've called him a rat before. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, Starfinder, the reality is it's, it's kind of hard. But now that we're getting higher level... And, and the stakes are higher and the enemies are harder and we have more ways to burn resolve points I think it's becoming more and more and more realistic that a character death could happen I really do mm-hmm. like I, I think the longer the game goes and the higher we progress the more the gloves come off you know and, yeah. and we've you've caught a lot of flack and we as a podcast have caught a lot of flack because it's hard to kill characters or whatever but you know our plan is to go to level 20. Mm-hmm. And the the closer we get to that goal, I think that that you know you're climbing a fucking mountain, and the closer you get to the top of that mountain, the more likely death is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, we'll see. That's all. I think that's all on the listener questions. Yeah, man. Um, I, I appreciate you being here. We're almost at two hours. You know, it's Tom talks. That's fine. I, I, you know. Making up for the lack. Making of up for lost time, and also just not only lost time in Tom Talks, but you know, COVID, man. Like Adam lives in New Orleans, I live an hour and a half away in Hattiesburg. We don't get to talk as much as we would like to. So I hope you enjoyed our banter at the top. If not, uh, I'm sorry. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I, uh, see, I I held myself back. I'm 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 I gaining. Did. I got you. I'm gaining discipline, and not just we'll see you in at every turn. But it's been a good time. I appreciate you being here, Adam. Um, of course, every is time. There, is there any news that we need to discuss? I do want to mention again, uh, Fight Rock. Like, If you're interested in being able to hang out with me and have a boxing match with Titanium Mike, that is a possibility that exists. If you want to jump up mm-hmm. to that $10 tier, 
come on, man. Like we'll we'll get you a fight it's schedule. A, it's a lot of fun, and, and it is a lot a lot of fun. And also, if you're worried that Mike is just too powerful and nobody's going to beat him, that's not the case. He's won three fights, but he's lost two. So yep. I mean, it's it's a real. It, he's good, but he's not unfallible or infallible. He's, he's so, also yeah. almost fifty years old. It's almost right. like this uh, fucking uh, Mike Tyson. Roy Jones Jr. fight that's coming. Yeah, up. yeah. I'm not. We're not even gonna get you started on. No, nah, we, we um, are. It's happening, and I hate it. If you want to know my opinion about it, I think it's stupid. Um, you asked if there's things people should know about. Well, we talked a little bit about hideous tomfoolery uh, today. So if you haven't listened to that, I I urge you to go check it out. That's it's a lot of fun with uh, a couple of our buddies over at Hideous Laughter joining in with us as we go through the Attack of the Swarm. It's a, it's a really fun kind of off-the-rails adventure. Um, aside from that, Heath, we are so close to episode 100, and I can't talk about it, but we are cooking up something really fun for it, and we want everybody to be around and kind of get caught up. So, you know, get, get those listening gears moving because you're going to want to be there for episode put your listening shoes on yeah you're going to you're going to want to be there for it we're going to do a a listening party kind of live stream party beforehand Uh, more details will come out as we figure them out but use this time to get caught up i'm telling you you're going to want to be there for it all right and and last thing i also want to mention and and i hate to be uh again the the like money guy but on Patreon, we're not very far away at all from our goal, our Patreon tier goal, of getting to play some games with you guys, of setting up oh, yeah. a listener like weekend. Up a, a weekend, yeah, right? where we'll, we'll play with you. And that, I mean, honestly, that's going to be so much fun uh, when we hit that goal. I have faith that we'll hit it. And it's going to be, I, I have some, some, interesting ideas for how that's going to go too so like really so if, if i wanted to ask you about that if you if there was any ideas that you could share about that because i will say just me outside of everybody else just uh in my own time i went ahead and bought like a uh, a couple of uh scenario or got a couple of free scenarios on roll 20 and stuff so like if i need mm-hmm. to run something i can Yeah, well, so there'll be signups for GMs because obviously if we're doing a whole weekend, we can't, uh, you know, I want to play some with you guys and I'm going to GM a couple sessions. And so the other SDF players will will be doing the same and we're going to open up some GM slots to some of our listeners. Anybody that wants to volunteer and do that, I, I would like for us to have games going for everybody to sign up for all weekend. You know, um, that's the idea. And I think that, well, let's just say one of the things that I'm toying around with. I'm I'm about to drop something here. Drop it, baby. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. I want to do a series of scenarios that are basically an assault on the pools of paradise. What? Yeah. What? Why are you? Why are you beating us up like this, Adam? You're gonna assault the pools of paradise? Where? I mean, 
Now you're opening a whole can of worms, my dude. Like, uh, well, when does, I'm sorry. When, it's the end of Tom. When does this take place? We got. So, Are no, we no. in the middle of this other AP? Are we gone? Are we there? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I'll tell you if we have more you're time. You're a real mean old son of, of a bitch. I've had a we're good time, time hanging out with you, and, this, and you do this to me. I'll never do another Tom Talks with you until the next time I have to do one with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like I said, like I got, I got a, a cool little Pathfinder 2E and a cool little Starfinder, uh, just, just one shot. So I can do those, you know, we've, we've got a lot of little plans for when that happens, but it's going to be, you know, contingent upon people signing up and, and being interested in stuff. So once we get to that point, get ready. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. All right. So thanks for, uh, if you've made it this far, thanks for, not only being in the community and uh you know if you're not in the discord get in the discord i'm not going to beat you over the head with it we say it all the time you know but we love you guys we love the community um adam and i this this in particular this means a lot to us i mean it means a lot to all of us but you know we this is our baby and and you are our sweet babies and we want you here with us to play these games and listen to these games and if you make it through these Tom Talks every time, it means so much to me personally as the showrunner of, of Tom Talks that, I, you know, I've just got to express gratitude every time that I can. So thanks for coming, guys. Another uh, fun, successful Tom Talks. If you have any questions, hit us up in the Discord. If you're not in the Discord, again, come join. We'd love to talk to you. Yes, indeed. Another Tom Talks in the books. There's only time for one more thing. We'll see you.